We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Our Bibles tonight to Mark chapter 14. As we move our way towards uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, I thought it might be cool, you know, not to to make it real complicated. You know, one of the things that John Corson says that, that I really like, he said, God doesn't promise to bless my word on his word. God promises to bless his word to our hearts. And so... We're just going to kind of read through. We're going to touch on some things. But tonight, uh, Mark chapter 14, Lord willing, tomorrow, uh, Mark chapter 15, when Jesus dies. And then, Lord willing, on Sunday, Mark chapter 16, when Jesus rises from the dead. As uh, we see today, in many ways, God at his best, man at his worst, with the exception of one gal um, by the name of Mary of Bethany. Because look what we read here in Mark 14. It says, After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests, the scribes, saw how they might take him, speaking of Jesus, by trickery or deception and put him to death. But they said, Well, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and wherever you wish you may do them good. But me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. As we go through our study tonight, we're going to see uh, Jesus and Judas. That's about as bad as it gets, right? Uh, we're going to see Jesus, Jesus and his enemies. Uh, that would include the chief priests and the scribes. Uh, we're going to see Jesus and Peter, uh, Jesus and his disciples. None of those things are good. <laughs> uh, but we're, we're, we're going to start off first with Jesus and Mary. And uh, this is such a beautiful story. What we read right here in that this is probably the Tuesday before Jesus dies or the Tuesday before uh, the Friday. So uh, we don't know what Jesus did on Wednesday. He took that day off. (laughs) But on Tuesday, he's at this house. He's in Bethany. It's a a man who probably was healed of leprosy. They kind of had a little dinner for him there. And as he's there, uh, we read what took place. That, you know, even though the religious leaders are are thinking, you know what, how can we, you know, arrest this guy without causing a riot? It's uh, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They didn't want to really do it during the feast, but you know what, they wanted to somehow get to Jesus. As they're, they're plotting, really, the wickedness, the murder of God. 
There's one person, and when I read my Bible, I think she was the only one who was in tune with what was really going on. And that blows my mind when I think of the 12 disciples and you know, when I think of how they were going to be the ones to change the world. And yes, God saw the potential in them and it's an amazing thing, but you know, none of them understood the cross. None of them understood where Jesus was going. They were still jockeying for position. We'll see as you go through the Gospels, Luke tells us that they're still fighting for position. Now, thank God for his grace and he would eventually use their lives, but... This lady, Mary of Bethany, we always find her at the feet of Jesus. You know, whether it's Luke chapter 10, hearing his word, whether it's John chapter 11, there, you know, a weeping, or whether it's here in Mark chapter 14, worshiping. It's an amazing story that we see here. Because she comes in, it labels her as a woman, but John chapter 12, verse 3 tells us who it is. It's Mary, right? Mary of Bethany. And so she has this alabaster flask of very costly oil. Um, it's from the Himalayan uh, mountains. It's, it's absolutely, you know, invaluable. We see here it's worth 300 denarii, and we know that a denarii is a day's wages. Okay, so 300 days of working. And so, you know, when you count in the, the weekends and everything, it's about a year's wages. Think about that. Average working man's wages, I don't know, maybe $40,000, something like that. And anyway, she has this, this probably family heirloom. And what does she do with it? She takes it, and it says right here, um, with this alabaster flask of very costly oil, spikenard, and she breaks the flask, and she pours it on his head. Now, usually you didn't break the flask. Usually you would just kind of, whenever you had a guest over for dinner, you would drop some drops, maybe three drops. You would anoint them. That's an okay thing to do. That's a cordial thing to do. But what she does is she breaks the flask. And that's a noteworthy thing. She breaks it so that it can't be used again. And she just, she just drenches Jesus with $40,000 worth of oil. It was probably basically everything that she had and and she gave it to him. You know, and some people say, well, you know, we're not really sure if she knew all the details, but but Jesus kind of tells us that she did. Jesus says, you know what, she anointed my body for burial. And that's what they would do literally in those days. And when they anointed bodies for burial, you know what they would do? They would break the flask and they would bury it with the body. That's how we know what she's doing. Now again, when you read the other accounts over in Matthew 26, 6 through 13, John 12, 1 through 8, what you find is that as she was there, she was doing this, that she not only poured it on his head, but she also poured it on his feet. And she, think about this lady, she took his beautiful, her beautiful hair, which is the glory of the woman, and she wipes his feet. And then it's so cool because we read right here that the whole house it was filled with the fragrance. When you go through the harmony of the Gospels, it's an amazing thing. And so she does this, um, but the guys didn't understand. The guys were like, they were indignant. They were thinking, what a waste of money. You know, when I want something that's interesting, the word wasted right there is an interesting word. You remember how Jesus called Judas the son of perdition? You guys remember that? 
Because you guys are, are, are Bible scholars, right? You know those things. The son of perdition. Same Greek word. See, Judas wasted his life. He was a son of perdition. He wasted the opportunity. Think about that, walking with God, talking with God, seeing the greatest works ever done, the greatest words ever spoken, walking with love. He wasted that. He was the son of perdition. He's here wondering why she wasted this, and we see that the contrary is true. She did not waste it. She worshipped it. And that's what happens a lot of times when we give our life to the Lord just fully, completely, recklessly abandoned to God. People might say, well, you know, they're wasting their life. They could have done this or they could have done that. They could have made so much, you know, of their life or maybe a lot more money or whatever the case may be. But you know what, you guys, I want to encourage you. When you give your all to God and you give, you give wholeheartedly and you give sacrificially and you give unashamedly and you give almost recklessly, that it's not a waste. What this woman did right here, did right here was so significant. You know, and, and we're going to see that as we go through our study today, the disciples are not really on the same page as Jesus. And Peter, James, and John are not on the same page as Jesus because they're sleeping while he's praying. And, you know, Judas definitely is because he's betraying him. And Peter even denies him. And the religious leaders who were supposed to represent him, they were against him. It seems like the only one that was with him was this woman. And you know, and I don't, and I'm not saying, you know, that, that the Lord couldn't have done it without her, because we know He could have. But I tell you what, it makes a big difference when you have a friend like that. And who knows what this did to encourage the heart of our Savior. You know, the guys were upset, they were indignant, and again, the Gospels tell us that it was Judas who led the way, you know, because Probably he was eyeing this family heirloom. He wanted it. He was stealing from the money box. But the Lord says right here in verse 6, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. Does anybody here have an NIV, non-inspired version? No, I'm just joking. I still love you guys. (laughs) NIV, it says she does a beautiful work. Beautiful work. There's different Greek words for good. Uh, one is one that's just good inherently, and the other Greek word for good is not only is it is it good, it looks good. It's uh, it's 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 beautiful, and that's what the Lord says right here. She has done. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. She's done a a beautiful work for me, and she has anointed my body for burial. He says the 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 poor you have always, quoting from the book of Deuteronomy 15 verse 11. But she has done what she could. And then he says in verse 9, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And so, what a beautiful testimony. You know, when she broke that flask and she worshipped the Lord, the scriptures tell us that the whole house was filled with that fragrance And before we move on, uh, because we have a lot to cover tonight, I just want to encourage you to know that I don't think that's why she was doing it. I just think she loved Christ. But when you worship God in such a way, and and this is another interesting thing, okay? She worships God, check this out, without a word. Did you notice that? Didn't say a word. Just worshiped. And our lives, they they tell a message. 
Our lives tell a louder message than our lips do. And she just worshiped. I want to encourage you to let your life be that way. What can you do? Jesus said she's done what she could. What can you do? What can we do? Let's learn from Mary, who is a beautiful, beautiful example, and who I think was used by the Father, really, to encourage his son. And, you know, before we move on, I think it's Luke chapter 10, um, somewhere around there, verse 38 and a half, no, I'm just joking, right around there somewhere, um, you know, uh, it talks about Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, right? You remember that? And Martha was working, 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 working. Mary was doing what? She was sitting at Jesus' feet. Okay, how about you? If I could just take a quick side note. Working, 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 or sitting at Jesus' feet? If you're sitting at Jesus' feet, then you're going to be in tune with the Lord, just like she was. And you're going to worship the Lord the way that you should. So anyways, in verse 10, this really upset Judas. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him to them. You know, it's interesting. In verse 1, it talks about the Passover. It was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes saw how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. You know, at this time, uh, there's probably about three million people in Jerusalem. And uh, we know that there were three feasts in which all men were required to go to Jerusalem, right? The Feast of Passover, Tabernacles, and Pentecost. And so here they are. Um, every Jewish man within a 15-mile radius had to be there. And, and yet at the same time, we know they would come you know, from all over the world. And they would always pray. If they didn't live in Jerusalem, they said, next year. The Jews would always pray this. Next year, we're going to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. You know, so, I mean, packed with people. And the religious leaders, they want to get him, but they don't want to get him during the feast. But, but they have to get him through, during the feast, huh? Why, why do they have to get him during the feast? Because it was prophesied, right? Because Jesus is our Passover lamb, right? He's our Passover lamb. And that takes us back to the book of Exodus, chapter 12, when the Jews came out of Egypt. Beautiful, amazing picture of what the Lord has done for us, you guys. Because there was a time when we were in bondage to Egypt, when you know we didn't know the Lord, man, and we were in chains, and we were in affliction, and we were under the dominion of the enemy, right? And that was the Jews. And what ended up happening was, you know, God brought Moses, God used Moses, the plagues came, but it wasn't enough, they were still in bondage, and God says, okay, I've got one more final blow that, that I'm going to do, and that is that I'm going to bring the angel of death, and he's going to come down, right? And we read the story there, it's amazing when you read Exodus 12, 13, and 14, how the Lord set them free from Egypt, but this is the way it would work. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to kill a lamb. And I want you to take the blood from the lamb and take a hyssop and I want you to mark the lintels and the doorposts of the lamb. It was a sign of a cross. And then what would happen is when the angel of death came down, if he saw the blood applied to your house, he would pass over. Right? And so the Jews, what they did was they applied the blood of the lamb to their house. When the angel came, he passed over. The ones that didn't have the blood, firstborn, animal, doesn't matter, 
male died. And see, that is a picture of Jesus, our Passover lamb. And God does a work. God sets us free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin and the blood of the Lamb, and the grace of God. And I really encourage you guys to get a hold of that. You know, God doesn't want to just, you know, save you and so that when you die, you go to heaven. That's a cool thing. If you don't know the Lord here today, then you're on your way to hell, and I pray that you would get off that highway to hell and get on the highway to heaven. All you got to do is trust in Christ, man. Turn from your sins and trust in Him. But you know, not only does He want us to you know, be set free from the penalty of sin, He wants us to be set free from the power of sin. He wants to do a good work in our life. And that's where grace comes in. Grace doesn't just cover us when we commit sin. Grace empowers us not to sin. So that's what the cross, that's what the blood is for too. I pray you would walk in that power. And you know what, if you're here today and you're struggling, maybe you've been a Christian struggling, 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 God says, you know what, it's time. You know, to get rid of the sin. You know, one of the things I learned uh, yesterday, it was kind of cool. Uh, my wife, she gave me a, a honeydew uh, day. It was one of those days. You know, and uh, it's kind of cool. I don't know how many of you guys are married. You like it when your wife gives you a list to do. Isn't it easier that way? Okay, good. boom, boom, boom. And then you're in good with the wife, okay? She's all, I want you to do some weeding in the backyard. I'm all, cool, you know what? We do need some weeding. But you know, then what's really neat is she came out and she helped me. She helped me do the weeding. Here's the interesting thing. She told me, I've never done that before. I'm like, how old are you? You've never done weeding before? Because what she used to do is she used to just cut them. And I said, no, you can't just cut the weeds. You know, you got to dig a little bit around them and you got to pull them out. Because what happens if you just cut them? They grow right back. How many times in our life we just, we just, we're not pulling things out by the roots? And this blood and this cross and this lamb and this Lord, He has empowered us to weed out the wickedness. I want to encourage you to know that. Not just, oh, I can't do these bad things anymore, but you can do good things. God is awesome. Judas, unfortunately, he wasn't cool with the whole thing of losing the money. You know, one of the things about Judas, and you learn this lesson, okay, a lot of people are like this. They are not in it to follow Christ. They're not. They're in it so that he can give me what I want. Is that why you serve the Lord? Because when you sign up and when you become a Christian, it's not so, okay, now I have God in my life and I have Christ in my life, and you know what, they're going to give me what I want. There's a lot of people like that, and they serve the Lord under those conditions. But let it be clear, let it be clearly known that when you become a Christian, you are called to follow him. It's not that he comes in and he gives you your agenda, your desires, or your dreams or aspirations. It's that you you come in and you say, okay, Lord, whatever you want me to do in life, I, I mean, I can't do anything else. If you tell me to jump, I jump. I'll do a right. I'll stop. I'll go forward. But... Forgive us, man. I just, I, just get, I just get so bummed when I see a lot of Christians that that's the way they serve the Lord. They're well, like, like Judas. Well, you know what? I'm following him because I know that he's going to do A, B, and C, and D. No, he's not going to do A, B, and C, and D. He's got a whole other plan. Are you willing to follow him? Because if not, you're a Judas. 
And so the Judas, he goes and he says, Hey man, can you believe it? Betraying the Lord. That's crazy. Anyways, you read in verse 12, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Now the interesting thing is, men never carried water. You know, that's why I tell my wife to go get the sparklets bottles because I just I think it's biblical. <laughs> but it, to see a man carrying a pitcher of water would be like, whoa, that's weird. That's how crazy it was because the ladies always did it. So Jesus said, you're going to see this guy and wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And so, some say this was actually Mark's mom's house. We have a house, it was a square house, and then on top of it was a smaller square house, so to speak. And that was the upper room. And so his disciples went out and they came into the city. They found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. And that would include a lot of things. Of course, they would get the lamb and they would have to check the room to make sure there's no leaven in the house. And there was a lot of steps involved. You know, all the 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 the, the amazing... Have you guys ever taken place in a, in a what's it called a Seder dinner? Have you guys ever done that? It's amazing, all the symbolism, the bitter herbs and the salt water and the little, you know, uh, I don't know what it's called, the apple mixture and just... You know, they had actually four cups of wine and the eleven bread and just the nowadays they have the boiled egg. It's just anyways, they got everything ready, right? And so his disciples went out and they came into the city and they found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. In the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat at eight, Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him, One by one, is it I? And then they said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Have you guys ever heard of that book, Dante's Inferno? Some of you probably heard of it. It's not, you know, like, you know, pulled out of the scriptures or anything, but it's an interesting book talking about the the flames of hell, talking about uh, hell itself in different ways. And of course, we don't get our theology from it, but it's interesting. In Dante's Inferno, he says Judas is actually in a cold place, an ice cold place, in the lowest of hell. Now, we know that hell does have degrees of punishment, right, based on how much you knew. The more you know, the more you're accountable for, right? And so he says that Judas is actually in the lowest part of hell. It's a cold, ice-cold place, he says, because even Judas was not guilty of the hot passions of sin. It was a cold, calculated sin. And that's who Judas was. And Jesus is reaching out to him. Hey, one of you guys are going to betray me. Judas knew who, who he was talking to. The Lord's reaching out to Jesus. I mean, Jesus reached out to him, and he's saying, you know what? He's warning him. He's warning him, saying, listen, you know, it, this is such a severe offense. 
I mean, wouldn't it have been cool? I mean, I love that we're Christians now, and I know a lot of people will tell you that we're better off being Christians now because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, right? And it's true, we do. But come on, wouldn't you have loved to walk with Jesus? I mean, that would have been so amazing, man. I mean, just think about it, man. And I can't wait to see him when I go to heaven. I just... I can't wait to see him. We know God is spirit. God the Father, the Holy Spirit, spirit. Jesus have a body. I'm going to see him. I'm going to hug him if he'll let me. <laughs> I would have loved to have been with Jesus and to hear him teach and to see the way that, you know, he was God incarnate. Just, man, Judas was that. He was that. He was so close. And yet he was so far. And the Lord right here... You know, he's talking to Judas. I think at the same time he's expressing, you know, some of his own turmoil going on in his own heart. Can't believe it. My friend, we dipped, you know, we double dipped together, man. You know, we, we walked to the house of the Lord together. We were tight. So it says in verse 22, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. You know, I just, and I know you guys know this is the institution of communion, and the Lord says, uh, This is a. you know, my body, this is my blood. We know it's not literal, it's not transubstantiation. We are not cannibals, okay? Um, but what it is is symbolic of his broken body, of his shed blood that washes away our sins. And the thing that the Lord really wants to bring it to you, this is probably the fourth cup of wine, this is probably the, the third time that they've had unleavened bread in the Passover. And what he wants to now just kind of do is he wants to make it real and he, he kind of, one of the things about the Lord that's cool, it, two things that I want to share with you guys right, real quick, is that, you know, there are those word pictures. There are those word pictures that, uh, that we can hold on to. You know, have you ever seen the Ark of the Covenant? Maybe you've seen renditions of it, and you kind of get a, a little understanding of the holy place, the most holy place. Or, you know, when you look at the scriptures and you see that, it's kind of cool to be able to hold on to those things. Well, with this bread, this broken bread, you know, just torn and then and then taken in is a symbol of his body that was torn. And why was it torn? Why was Jesus all beat up? We're going to see even today spit on blind. You know, we're going to see tomorrow. You know, if you guys have seen the passion of the Christ, why? It's because he loves you, right? The body, the broken body is an expression of his love. And maybe you're here today and you're going through hard times and you're wondering, man, I don't know if God loves me because things are really crazy. Well, you don't have to wonder. You know, he gave his body for you and then he shed his blood for you. And that's really symbolic of the life. And so you see the love and you see the life that he's given to us, you guys. And the thing that he did is that he did that to establish what? A new covenant. The old covenant was based on what? Law. The old covenant was based on law and it had a lot of ifs in it. The new covenant is based on what? Love. Grace. And it's a beautiful thing. Romans 5.20 says, And where, and where sin abounded, 
grace abounded much more. You know, if you trust in Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, chances are, you know, you sinned today or maybe yesterday and maybe it was a real bad one. And the enemy comes in and he says, you know what, you're not going to heaven because you don't deserve it. Now, I'm not making light of sin, but you got to know that this is a new covenant. And the power of the blood washes away our sins. Because when the reason I got to communicate that to you, because, you know, Paul says, well, if Manny, if you start teaching that, you know, grace message, then people are just going to go on sinning, right? And so he goes on and he talks about, what then, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? People are going to start thinking that. No. He says, perish the thought. But here's the thing. When, when I blew it the other day, you know, with my son, or, or, you know, last week when I blew it with my wife, or, or whatever it is, I didn't, I didn't really pray enough today. You know, or whatever the case may be, I don't know what it is, you know. I mean, we just always, we're constantly falling short. And it seems like the closer you get to God, the more you realize how far away you are. And so you never come to that place, you know, when you're looking at your own performance. But it just seems like, you know, but when I understand the whole new covenant, the relationship that I have with God, I don't have to go through anybody, but I can just go straight to Him. That grace transforms my life. Because if it's just law, it's an outside, superficial, external walk that I'll have based on fear. But when it's love, it's something that changes me from the inside out. It's a new covenant, and it's based on, it's based on love. God loves me. He busted the move first, right? And I, and I love him back. And Jesus says, okay, now it's time for a new covenant. I know a lot of people, Christians, they're very legalistic. Very legalistic Christians. They're living in the old covenant. It's kind of a bummer. And you know, it's kind of funny because a lot of times these legalistic Christians, they think they're the strong ones. You know what Paul says in Romans? They're the weak ones. (laughs) We can't have a legal relationship. We've got to have a love relationship. And so in verse 26 they sung a hymn. It may be Psalm 136. Some say maybe another psalm. They went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Zechariah 13, verse 7. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, I will not be. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he swore more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. You know, the Lord is just trying to tell them what's going to happen ahead of time so that when it does happen, they'll know he's on the throne. And, you know, when the Lord says, hey, and we know that, you know, Jesus had told him, hey, Peter, Satan's asked for you, he's going to sift you as wheat. You know, and Peter's like, no problem, Lord, I got this taken care of. Don't you know how completely committed I am? <laughs> I mean, they can cut off my head, but they can't take away my heart. God, I'm, I'm just yours. And I think that Peter really meant it, and the Lord saw that, but he had that overconfidence. You know, none of us can be there, you guys, and I pray that you wouldn't. You know, I couldn't believe it, you know, and and we see this all the time. I see an individual on Facebook, they're friends, they were great Christians, serving the Lord, doing missions trips, now they're divorced. It happens. 
That's why we have to abide in, in the Lord every single day. Man, I really encourage you to draw near to God. Stay humble. Always remember, and isn't it cool? I think you guys know this. Without Him, we can do nothing. Right? Without Him, I'm a loser. Without Him, I, am, I know who I am and of myself. Absolutely wicked to the core. So why is Peter saying, oh, Lord, you know, not me. It's because he really, really was, was deceived. huh? He loved the Lord, but he was overconfident. And so they came to a place in verse 32, which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deep, troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. Now when he said watch, he meant watch and pray. Okay? And he went a little farther and fell on the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And then he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away, prayed, and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Have you ever been there? (laughs) And then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man has been betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. What do we see right here? Real quick, you guys. What do we see? This is how you attain victory. And this is how you attain defeat. And it's real simple. It has to do with our prayer life. You know, surrendering your will. I mean, here's the Lord coming to his Father. And I like the way he calls him Abba. You know, that means daddy. And so it's not just a divine deity distant out there. It's his daddy. I come to you, Abba, Father. You know, if it were up to me and now it's a human nature speaking, I'd rather not go through this. But Lord, if it's your will, not my will, but your will be done. And there was that wrestling there. There was a surrender there. Where is the victory? Have you guys ever like just had an outburst at your wife? You ever done that? Liars. I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, whatever. You get mad at your husband or your kids. I don't know why those, those little stinkers, man, they just will not, you know, line up sometimes. And, and they can get us mad, you know, because they are just not perfect. It's just a crazy, crazy thing. And we are a perfect family. And everybody's supposed to see us as a perfect family, right? What's wrong? Don't you get the program? We get all mad at them. Why? We're really mad at them because they're not putting on a good show for us. But we get mad at them. But where's the, where's, the, where's the real victory won? It's not won in that moment. It's won in your prayer closet. It's won on your knees. It's won as you're asking the Lord to you know, keep the devil away, Lord, and protect me and give me the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's why Jesus, the cross, this is where he won the cross, in the Garden of Gethsemane. In those days, they had no gardens in the, in the city of Jerusalem because it was just so inhabited with people. If you were rich, you could maybe afford a garden out there on the Mount of Olives. So Jesus had a friend, and he would go there to pray. And you know, when you're going through hard times, you need your friends. You know, I know, I know, I know I'll be honest with you. 
You know, you've got to cultivate a personal prayer life, but it's cool when you pray with other people too, huh? When you know they're praying with you. And that's what the Lord wanted, and fortunately these guys were not able to do it. And I can relate, you know, and I don't want to beat you guys up with that, but maybe, you know, get your rest. I'll tell you what, even exercise. If you exercise, you're going to have more energy. Did you know that? Stop eating so many double-doubles. Stuff like that, right? But it's so funny because at night, you know, we'll turn on the, the movies, we'll turn on the TV, and my kids will say, oh, Dad's probably going to be out in about five minutes, you know? Sure enough, boom, I run out of gas. And it's okay, I suppose that happens when, when I'm watching a movie, but, but not when I'm praying. We've got to be prayed up. These guys, unfortunately, weren't. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. And so what ends up happening? Verse 43, And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, man, they came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, as betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him, and he said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Now there's two Greek words here. One word is like a, a, a distinctive kiss that was commonly given to rabbis, the one that I kiss, right? But the, the, the Greek word for when he did kiss him was an extended kiss. It was, you know, like it was almost like a lover's kiss, kata. It was just, it was, it was emphasized, right? And it's just, more, Barclay says this is the most hideous picture in the whole Bible. When we see Judas here, the cold, calculated sinner, kissing Jesus in such a way, maybe thinking that he could get away with it, right? In the sense that no one will know that I betrayed him. But as he kissed him, they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? Notice what Jesus was doing, you guys. This is so cool. In verse 49, I was daily with you in the temple doing what? Teaching. And you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. Now we know that Peter was the one that had that sword and and again, you know, I know we're going to see Peter deny the Lord, but you got to see there is an element of courage here. There's something going on. Thank God he didn't cut off his head. No, the Lord probably could have healed his head too, huh? But there he is, you know, and uh, and then what ends up happening, verse 50, they all forsook him and fled. Now, I always wonder, but what about John? John seemed to say, stay close. Maybe he left. Maybe he came back. But look what verse 51 says. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now, we're not sure, but more than likely, Luke referred to Mark for his gospel. More than likely, Matthew referred to Mark for his gospel as well. More than likely, Mark was the first gospel written. But they don't have that little account that Mark has. They probably thought it wasn't that important, right? But for some reason, Mark has it. For Mark, it was important. And you want to know why? Because <laughs> that young man was probably Mark. Huh, that's what we believe. It's interesting. Because <laughs> this upper room, in Acts chapter 12, it says they met in the upper room. Interesting, the way that everything works together. You know, but this young man would later grow, and boom, here we are today, studying his gospel account. 
But they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. And then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, well, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. Not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he, Jesus, kept silent and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. And some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, to beat him, and to say to him, Prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palm of their hands. Remember in John 10, Jesus said, No one takes my life. I lay it down. The good shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. But Jesus had to go through this, you know, joke of, you know, a, a trial. Everything was illegal. Doing it at night was illegal. Doing it at a feast day was illegal. Not having all the members of the Sanhedrin was illegal. Um, they were all supposed to vote. I mean, just everything about that night. And Jesus would go to one high priest and the other high priest, then back in front of the Sanhedrin in the morning. He's going to go over to Pilate and then to Herod and then back to Pilate. He walks miles. He doesn't sleep probably all night. And now just, you know, everything begins. Now, and I really believe, you know, that Satan was behind every single one of those, those punches to the face of our Lord. And I remember one time I was in line somewhere and I saw a, a couple of people getting a, a fight. It was a guy and a, and a lady and it was a young guy and a lady. And, and then I remember he, he spit in her face. This is one of the ugliest things that you could see. And yet that's what we did to our God. And yet when man was at his worst, God was at his best. You know, we all have a different testimony here. Some of you here, praise God, you were raised in the church, but you need to hear the testimonies of what God has done. I mean, where would we be? Where would we be right now without Jesus Christ? You know, we'd be dead. How many of you guys would be in prison? Is that a curiosity? Many of you here would not be married if it weren't for the Lord. You know? But look at what he's done for us, you guys. He went this way. And, you know, what we find is that even the whole idea of the priest, you know, putting words into the mouth of Jesus it was not allowed for the high priest to put words into their mouth that would incriminate the, you know, the accused. It's exactly what happens. But Jesus identifies himself real easy there in verse 62. I am the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, and one day you're going to see me standing at the right hand of the power. <laughs> and just think about this. He's going to be cruising on those clouds. And he's coming back real soon. So cool. 
But then we learn one last thing. Look what happens in verse 60. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch in a rooster crowd. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. And then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed, and then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he just, he just wept. And you know, things are getting bad and things are going to get worse. But then, at that, at, that, at that just terrible time, God is going to break through and God's going to give this amazing, amazing victory. You know, when you study the, the denial of Peter and people like to say, well, he was overconfident, he followed at a distance, he warmed himself by the enemy's fire and all those types of things. And yeah, you know what? I think we need to learn what not to do because I think that we can deny the Lord. And there is a message there, you guys. I've seen people deny the Lord. I've seen some people choose their boyfriends over God. Where will that take you if you choose your boyfriend over God or your girlfriend over your over God? Some maybe even your wife or your husband or your children or your career or whatever it is, you know, over God. I mean, we can deny the Lord, and so there's a, a lesson there that I think we need to have. You know, let's pray. Let's not be like Peter. Let's be humble. Let's follow close to Jesus. Let's not warm ourselves by the enemy's fire. But I don't think that's really the main message of Peter, to be honest with you. I think the main message of Peter has always been grace. When the Lord first called him, if you remember, you know, the Lord did this great miracle using Peter's boat. And, and when the, Peter saw who the Lord was, he said, Lord, depart from me from a sinful man. And he probably was really bad. But the Lord said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. The Lord still called him. And how many times did Peter put his foot in his mouth? <laughs> right? And we do that sometimes. And then here we see Peter denying the Lord. But let me ask you a question. Who was it that God used on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? It was Peter. And it was through Peter that God opened the door to the Jews. It was through Peter that God actually began to open the door to the Gentiles. And you might be here tonight, and I don't know what's happened in your life or what's gone on in your life, and, and I just want to encourage you that sometimes, man, those failures and those you know, mistakes and those sins that we think would actually, you know, end our life, so to speak, as Christians, can actually be not stumbling stones, but stepping stones to make us a people so grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God that God can actually take what was meant for evil and used for good. How God can work all things together. And so I want to encourage you tonight because, man, we're still alive and our heart is still beating and we're not dead yet. 
And there's still hope. And that's my prayer. My prayer is that God raise up a whole bunch of Peters. People who, yeah, maybe we failed and we got to kind of go in through the back door. But we make it in. Because there is a world that is dying. And we need people that are completely committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ who understand what grace is. And we kind of finally get that message. You know, one of the hardest messages for Christians to get is it's not your righteousness. You want to know what your righteousness is? Read Isaiah 64, 6. It's a filthy rag. It's a menstrual garment. But what is our righteousness? Our righteousness is Christ. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Let me become the righteousness of God. And so let's stand in that righteousness. And let's go out and let's be used by God as we get our priorities in order of who Jesus is and who we are. And let's win the world for Christ. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to study your word together. And as we get ready, Lord, for Easter Sunday, we're moving our way.